0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Mattson. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee, and we've got lots to talk about. Kyle Shanahan was on the TK show, the Tim Kawakami podcast. Definitely recommend checking that conversation out. Chris and I have some takes on some stuff that Kyle Shanahan said, so we're going to go over that. And then we are going to finish up our positional previews with defensive backs. We'll dive into what's interesting about that group position battles and whether the depth is good or bad. And after that, we're going to have real-life training camp content. Can't wait. Let's dive in.
0: Blue wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Kittle in Denver Territory. Kittle is gonna go! Touchdown! Bosa's got him with a sack him back inside
1: the 30-yard line. Nick Bosa drops. Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. Prepare. I want to thank friend of the show Tim Keller for having Kyle Shanahan on his podcast and giving us a little bit of content, a little bit of additional content. We had content for you. This was a this was a surprise, though that uh, the drop this afternoon. And Kyle Shanahan said a lot of interesting stuff. So all credit to TK for getting some very good answers out of out of Shanahan.
2: It's a really nice get the day before training camp, like to get pretty an good, NFL head coach on a podcast um so shouts to shouts to tim um and yeah shanahan basically answered a lot of questions that he's going to answer uh on tuesday when this podcast comes out we'll be i know i'll be in the room asking kyle shanahan and john lynch questions um maybe trey lance will talk hopefully trey lance will talk because i'm writing about trey lance and um uh, i would l- just love to have a quote from him for the story um but no t- kyle shanahan was uh was very informative and I think said some interesting things um, maybe some things that were a little unexpected maybe some things that you know might be his prerogative to to say and get out there from a messaging perspective but um, yeah overall I mean to get a to get a head coach on your podcast the day before he addresses local reporters at the start of training camp is, doesn't happen a lot so good for Tim
1: yeah and like i said i think it's really easy in that spot not to we'll get into the substance of it but just shouting out tim it i think it would be easy for the coach to just kind of give general the the typical coach speak boilerplate. of yeah a boilerplate thank you of yeah, we haven't, you know, we're not making any decisions at quarterback. We're gonna do its best for our team. Da da like not leaving anything. Not not I, he he gave the boilerplate answer with the Debo Samuel thing, but also was like, I'm not worried about a contract not getting done. Right. So let's 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 start with the quarterback stuff because that's what's been dominating the offseason. Mm-hmm. He more or less in black and white painted the the quarterback picture and I have the quote here and this is what stuck out to me. If something different stuck out to you, let me know, but this is what stuck out to me said. This is a uh, quotes, This is something we did last year, knowing where we wanted to go with the this franchise and how you balance out a salary cap, how you balance out a roster. And Jimmy gave Trey a year that I thought he needed just to get used to this league to get his feet wet a little bit. And I think our team's ready for Trey. It doesn't, it doesn't get a lot more black and white than that. And then he went on to talk about how excited he is to work with Trey.
2: Yeah. And he also talked about Jimmy Garoppolo in the past tense. Um, Yes. So, yeah, I mean, none of that's super new, but it is unique for a coach to come out and say it, particularly with Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster. Um, And, you know, I think it's very clear that Trey Lance is going to be the guy. I think what's more interesting to me is just what the process is going to look like in terms of, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo's presence in the building um, because Shanahan also said he expects Garoppolo to be there on Tuesday to take his physical. And he said he hadn't seen Garoppolo since they cleaned out their locker rooms at the end of the season after the NFC Championship game. And so, you know, it, it doesn't sound like the 49ers are expecting Jimmy Garoppolo to stay in LA to continue his rehab. He's actually going to be in the building. And maybe he just he he has to pass a physical. Like that's how the 49ers would be able to trade him. If 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 they do trade him he will have to pass a physical so I guess getting it done on Tuesday does make sense from that perspective um but I thought there was a real chance they would have just done what they did during mandatory OTAs when um you know Garoppolo was given an excused absence to continue his rehab in Southern California while the team you know tries to find him a new home um There wasn't any clarity on, on Garoppolo's future other than that, which is Mm -hmm. something I'm sure we'll dig down on more uh, on Tuesday, but um, yeah, I mean, this is Trey Lance's team, right? Like, I don't know, you know, how, how else to, to spell it out for people. I know, you know, this last week national reporters have been saying, Oh, the team's committed to Trey Lance. Like the team's been committed to Trey Lance for, you know, really since the end of the season, um, right. So the, the, the nice thing about it now is with practice starting on Wednesday is we actually get to talk about football and like what's going to happen on the field, not just speculation about what's going to happen. Like we'll be able to see, you know, if Jimmy Garoppolo is even out there, I kind of doubt he will be. Maybe they'll mm-hmm. just keep him on the side field um, or maybe, you know, I, I, I just can't imagine Jimmy Garoppolo, at least early on if he's still on this roster is going to be taking reps from anybody. Right. Like I just,
1: my guess is my guess is he shows up and takes a physical and then goes back to Southern California.
2: I think that's a very fair guess. I think that that's probably the most likely scenario. I also think it's possible that he's just running sprints on the side field. Right. Yeah, like maybe. That, that that could happen too. So uh we will have those answers this week, which is, which is going to be nice. Um, and there's also the question about Debo Samuel, and I think Shanahan had some interesting th- things to say. Maybe it wasn't what he said, but more of the confidence in which he said it. It was, yes. he's he's very, based, to sum it up, he might have a, a better quote than I than I have off the top of my head, but he basically summed it up saying he's he doesn't know the details, there's no timeline, but he's very confident a deal will get done. Um, so, Almost
1: verbatim what he said
2: yeah so he's (laughs) you know it's his again like it's his job to paint a picture that you know makes everything look fine you know like drama free and and it very well might be it might just be you know the two sides are coming together and they just got to hammer out the specifics of the contract and there's no you know bad feelings or anything but i i Again, I'm expecting a deal to get done. I just don't know how easy it's going to be. That that's my big question, right? Like, if frankly, if Debo Samuel is practicing on Wednesday with the new contract, I'll be slightly surprised because I I just think this is. It's it's been really complicated. I think the fact that it got to the point where Samuel publicly requested a trade and did all the social media stuff makes me think it remains complicated. Even though he is in the Bay Area. I'm guessing he'll take his physical, um, but you know, the timeline I'm, I'm curious to see, and I'm expecting it to be a, you know, if he doesn't sign the contract, it's going to be a hold in situation where he's doing basically what TJ Watt did before he got his contract with the Steelers, where he was there in the building, but just not practicing. So um, that'll be an interesting, what was, what was your takeaway from from that whole part of the conversation?
1: Like you said, it was the, if you haven't listened to the podcast, that's why you got to go listen to it. Like, like you said, it's the way he said it. It was very not dismissive, but but his his exact quote at the top was, what I do know, he talks about the things that he doesn't know, the machinations of the negotiations and stuff. And then he says, what I do know is I'm not worried about it not getting done. I feel very confident that Debo is going to be on our team this year and he's going to be here for many years after. I do believe he'll get a deal. And then later on, he said what you brought up he said, I think they'll get something done sooner rather than later, but there's no timeline, and I'm not really concerned about it right now. I think it's all going to work out. It was very much the... the the. It was very much the... I'm trying to get across, like, yeah, deal is going to get done, but didn't want to say that it's going to get done in case there's some kind of snag. So he's just like, I'm very confident it's going it, to... Like I said, go listen to it, because it's... Yeah. It's definitely the way he said it, but I it, think- it's the—I've always thought a deal was going to get done with Debo. I thought an extension was just because of the the leverage in the situation and the balance of power, and really the fact that Samuel had no leverage. It felt like a deal was was eventually going to get done, and now it's just like I said, unless some kind of weird snag comes up, I'm guessing it'll get done, if not before camp, very shortly into camp.
2: Right. And I think one thing too, if there's a silver lining about, you know, this potentially getting dragged out and going longer than, you know, say it goes two weeks in a training camp. I think we're going to get to a point here where training camp is less physically taxing and ultimately less important than maybe it was five, 10 years ago. Right. Like I, for, I also don't mm-hmm. think like going along with this, like, none of these starters are going to play in the preseason. Like, any substantial amount of snaps, right? Like, Yeah, what
1: did Fred Warner and Trent Williams play? Like, some snaps in the last game?
2: Yeah, like, they're going to, like, go out for warm-ups and, and then be in sweats after the National Anthem plays, right? So, like, I think, ultimately, the point here is that if Samuel misses a week or two, as long as he's in shape, it's not really going to matter. But, you know, because the 49ers are and I, I guess i only i've i've only really covered them closely so i can't say how they are relative to other teams but they're like pretty progressive in terms of you know resting guys and monitoring how much uh what their workload is in any given practice or game and they monitor you know they have all the, these little trackers in their practice jerseys and game uniforms where you know they can say they can look at somebody's average speed and if it's slower than normal, they they might conclude that this guy needs a rest and whatnot. Like they, right. they, they do all of that sports science performance stuff. Right. So um, a lot of that includes like the slow ramp up to the regular season, because we know, you know, the 49ers have had issues in the past, whether it be the spring program or training camp with just guys dealing with injuries. And I know they want to avoid that. particularly now with with the 17 game season too and so the point here is like if Debo Samuel misses a week or two over this contract thing like it's not going to be the end of the world but he does have to be in shape like with Debo especially the way he plays the type of toll he exacts on his body um, his body type like he's a guy that can't just roll out of bed and be an effective player and be durable, right? Like it, Debo mm-hmm. entered training camp last year in the best shape of his life and or in the best shape at least since he entered the league, and I, it's not a coincidence mm-hmm. that he had the season that he had relative to his other seasons, right? So um, I think that's something worth monitoring, but, you know, Kyle Shanahan sounds very optimistic about it. He was talking about how, you know, the... <laughs> He's not on social media and Brandon Ayuk, he met he he in San Diego, where I think he lives in the offseason and John Lynch has a house. He met with Trey Lance and Brandon Ayuk, who's working out with Trey Lance, and they went out to lunch and Brandon Ayuk made an arm fatigue joke and Kyle Shanahan didn't know what the reference was because he's not on social media <laughs> <laughs> and didn't didn't hear about the reports. And Iuk's, um, I think it was on Instagram, he made a, he made a joke about Trey Lance's arm fatigue thing. Um, and he also said that, yeah, Trey Lance dealt with some stuff his rookie season, but Shanann said every quarterback he's ever worked with has dealt with some level of that, and he's not worried at all about that going into this year. So I think we said it on the podcast where we talked about it, like, that stuff does happen um when -hmm. you play sports and throw a lot and particularly with with how much work trey lance did during the quote-unquote dead vacation period between otas and the start of training camp like it makes sense that he might have you know had dead arm at some point in the middle of august which would coincide with the you know fall off he had from when he started training camp basically on fire and played really well so that that doesn't seem that that doesn't look like a narrative that's that the 49ers are at least all that concerned about. Again, we'll see how training camp goes, but um I think all in all, given how much discussion there's been about stuff, this off season, I think once week one comes around, this is, you know, I think this is going to be a relatively drama free, straightforward situation as long as, you know, they're, they get Jimmy Garoppolo's money off the books at some point, which they will um and if Debo Samuel gets a new contract which all signs are pointing to that happening but you know it might not happen anytime within the next few weeks maybe maybe it happens tomorrow who knows but um I think ultimately this training camp is shaping up to you know I don't I don't think this team is like super concerned with all of the narratives and all of the stuff the discussion that's been happening this offseason surrounding them I think they're the kind of all systems go at this point.
1: I want to go back to Debo real quick. I think one of the important things of getting him on the field is just getting him reps with Trey Lance because you mentioned he's been working with Brandon Ayuk all offseason and whoever else. I doubt he's been doing a ton of work with Debo Samuel. It's not that we've seen or heard of. And if he starts missing a week, two weeks, three weeks of camp, those are pretty valuable reps, especially as Lance gets his first reps as a starter. So That's the one kind of additional thing there where, I mean, you're right from a knowing the offense and a conditioning standpoint. If Samuel's on point there, it's fine. But I I do think those reps with Lance could, could wind up being pretty important. Yeah. So that's, that's another reason they, they got to get up on the field, but I don't, I don't, I would push back a little bit on the season being drama free because just from Just because Jimmy Garoppolo is no longer on the team doesn't mean it's necessarily going to go away. And I do wonder if Lance struggles out of the gate and the Niners are one and three and he's throwing for 160 yards a game and he's throwing two touchdowns and four picks. If there's not going to be some outsized concern about, about Lance and should the 49ers have kept Garoppolo and, That I think is gonna hang over the season no matter what any time a mistake gets made. But from a standpoint of Samuel not being on the team, Jimmy Garoppolo being on the team, I think a lot of that that consternation is gonna be is gonna be gone by week one.
2: Yeah, I I think I think it's a fair point, but I also think that's just gonna be outside discussion, right? Like I don't think there's Yeah, okay, yeah. I don't think that's gonna be something that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch like I don't think they're ever going to be second guessing themselves unless Trey is just terrible, um, which I have a I hard time seeing, because, you know, if any coach can mask the deficiencies of really any player on offense, it's Kyle Shanahan. Right. And so, so with with the way I think they're going to be able to run the ball with the fact that they should have Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle, um, I just have a hard time thinking that, you know, and the defense and the special teams potentially like I think Trey Lance would need to fall flat in his face and be like a D minus player for them to ever get to that Mm -hmm. point. And even, and Shanahan on the pod even said like, he talked about, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo in 2019 and he got off to a slow start in the first half of 2019. And he said, you know, thankfully uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, thankfully, you know, we had a really good defense and a really good running game and we were able to ease Jimmy Garoppolo in before the second half of the season, when Garoppolo, Garoppolo really started to take off, mm-hmm. and that was, you know, Jimmy was coming off the ACL injury. Um, and then he played well enough to get them to the Super Bowl and within a quarter of, you know, winning the Super Bowl. And that's sort of what he expects. It sounded like the way he was talking about it, that's what he's expecting from Trey Lance. Like, obviously, there's a decent chance it's not going to be pretty in the early going because he hasn't played very much football. But Mm -hmm. as he gets into thing, as he gets into the season and gets more comfortable, um, you know, there's a chance that he could elevate his game in a similar way Jimmy Garoppolo did. Um, Because, you know, even in 2019, like Garoppolo had what eight starts with the 49ers under his belt He came in 2017 started the final five games um, had three starts before tearing his ACL in 2018 and then came into 2019 like he was a veteran but hadn't played a whole lot of football either. Right, so that was that was the parallel that Shanahan made, which I thought was interesting because I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, another theme of the season, I think, ultimately with Trey Lance is going to be like, I mean, they they might ask him to throw fifteen times a game, right? (laughs) Like fifteen—that's excessively low. I mean, for the first, like, would you would you be surprised if Trey Lance was? 13 of 18 week one against the bears and they ran the ball 40 times.
1: Hey, I would be, yeah, I'd be pretty surprised
2: if he completed 13 of 18 for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would think most of his throws are going to be easy or in the early going, but I mean, you and I both agree. And we've said it a lot on here that the Niners are going to run the ball as much, if not more than any other team in the league this year. Hmm. So, like, Trey Lance, there's a decent chance Trey Lance averages, like, 20 throws a game. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility at all.
1: I was trying to look at Lamar Jackson's rookie season. He averaged as a starter. So, Lamar Jackson, as a starter in his rookie season, averaged 22.6 attempts a game. So you go 20 or fewer, that's super not a lot
2: of throws. Yeah, we're talking about a coach who dialed up eight passes in the NFC Championship game. That's a good point. That's a good point. So I I, I thought that, I, I agree with you, the,
1: the Lance Garoppolo, the 2019 Garoppolo 2022 Lance thing was, was interesting for sure. Not a thing I'd thought about. And it's a little bit because they are definitely different. It's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison because, yeah, Garoppolo hadn't played a lot of football, but he still had – eight starts with the 49ers. He had two starts plus a couple years behind Tom Brady with the Patriots. He had some experience when he stepped in in 2019, but to that point and to, I think Shanahan's point Garoppolo in 2019 to start the year was, was, uh, was not good through seven weeks in six starts. He was averaging 219 yards a game seven touchdowns and six interceptions yeah and less than eight yards per attempt like he wasn't very good and and shanahan's point like you said he said quote i see this going into this season very much to where trey's going to do a lot of good stuff but he also hasn't played a lot of ball and that's why we can take him through these games and still have a chance to win each game i feel we're in without having to put him in all that stuff because he does have a defense he can rely on We'll have a running game he can rely on. And I love our weapons with our receivers, our tight ends. And we're really excited about our team here to where we don't have to go into it and say, Hey, we'll be good if our quarterback, I don't think it's going to be all about Trey. I think it's going to be all about our team and we're going to allow him to move with our team. And that's sort of what they did with, with Garoppolo in 19. And I think that was kind of the justification last year when talking about Trey as a starter, like, yeah, maybe he's not ready, but, how ready does he need to be to get them where Garoppolo has them?
2: Yeah, I think if Trey plays, you know, C-plus, B-minus football through the first few weeks of the season, they'll be fine. Yeah, Like I mean,
1: you'd think so. It's going to look different
2: for sure. It's going to look way different. But I think, honestly, there's there's a chance. Like, you know, we talked about the defensive line and how this year's defensive line stacks up against the 2019 defensive line i think that's a good point by you to, to say there's a chance that that the ceiling is is relatively similar even though it doesn't have deforest buckner but if javon kinlaw mm-hmm. takes a step if eric armstead plays like he did throughout the second half of last season and the playoffs if samson ebukam takes a step if nick bosa you know becomes a defensive player of the year candidate like if Charvarius yeah if charverius ward um You know, plays like he did in kansas city and lives up to the contract he signed with the 49ers like this this has all the makings of a top five defense Mm -hmm. right so like if you have a if you have a top five defense and you can rush the passer and you can cover guys and you have one of the best linebacking cores in the league then you know and and you're running the ball 30 35 times at least like you're not going to need trey lance to you know, to really do a whole lot early on in the season. And I think that's, that's what Shanahan's alluding to. Like this team won with, they went eight and no with Jimmy Garoppolo playing pretty meh football. Mm-hmm. And you could say that Trey Lance just based on how much more physically gifted he is in Garoppolo and how he might, you know, be able to pull first downs out of his ass just by scrambling and uh, making plays outside of structure that Garoppolo couldn't really do coming off the injury like the ceiling for the offense is higher even though trey lance doesn't have all that experience and then as we've seen with this 49ers team when they've stayed healthy they typically play a lot better in november and december than they do september Mm -hmm. and october and and Mm -hmm. some of that directly correlates to jimmy garoppolo too who's who has played his best football in november and december with the 49ers and and i think some of that's by design right? Like you get guys more comfortable within their roles. You figure out exactly how your offense is going to work. You realize, okay, we don't have Raheem Mostert, uh, but now, and our running back group is really banged up, but now we're going to insert Debo Samuel and we're going to figure that out. Right? Like, so there are Mm -hmm. things that happen as the season goes along to where Kyle Shanahan gets more comfortable from a schematic perspective as to how to use guys. And then ultimately that makes things easier on the quarterback. Right? So, um, I think like Shanahan, the way he talked about it, it's like, yeah, we're going to just lean on our defense and running game early in the season while Trey Lance gets comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then we'll see where we're at in November and see what kind of ball Trey Lance is playing and and then what the next evolution would look like. So
1: that's the question I have with this is I I, I'm with him there. I, I track that makes sense. The formula is going to be similar. Fine. But It can't be ignored the switch that Garoppolo flipped when Emmanuel Sanders arrived in week eight, because from week eight on in 10 games, he completed 69.6% of his throws. He was averaging 266 yards a game. He threw 20 touchdowns and seven picks. He had a 108 rating and 8.6 yards per attempt. He was really, really good in the second half of that year. And that's where, that's where this departs for me. Because maybe Lance hits the ground running and he's Patrick Mahomes' light in in his first year as a starter, the way Mahomes was in 2018. I don't think Lance will get there, but he's something like that where it's like, oh my goodness, the Niners are going to compete for the Super Bowl every year until this guy retires. And maybe he's something in south of that, maybe. I don't know. But it departs for me because I don't know if this year, given his lack of experience, given the, the learning curve I think there's going to be, I don't know that there's going to be that switch halfway through the season where it's all of a sudden like, hey, this is an entirely different quarterback. This is a, he, he went from throwing for 160 yards a game to 250, and his touchdown interception ratio is up near three to one, and it, the offense just looks unstoppable. I just, I don't know if that, I think it gets there eventually, but I wonder if this year, if the 49ers are six and four after 10 games or five and five after 10 games, I don't know that Lance is going to hit the level that he needs to get to, to, to carry him to the playoffs and finish five and two or four and three or whatever.
2: Yeah. And I think uh, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying and think you're on the money, but you, you can also look at like, you know, Debo Samuel wasn't Debo Samuel in 2019. He was a rookie, just kind of getting his feet yeah. wet. Emmanuel Sanders was a very important addition that they made, but you know, there's a possibility IU that can that, be
1: Sanders.
2: Yeah, there's a possibility that Brandon Ayu picks up picks up the slack there. Yeah. You know, we don't know what Danny Gray is going to give him, right? Like, I think we we probably feel as good about Jawan Jennings as a potential number three receiver as we felt about. Kendrick Bourne midway through that season. Mm -hmm. Right. So I I think you can make a a pretty strong case that like the, the skill position players, the 49ers have, this might be their best. I think it's actually, I don't think it's might. I think it is their best skill group. When you look at the receivers, Mm -hmm. the tight ends, the running backs that they've had going into a season since Kyle Shanahan got here,
1: the offensive lines way worse.
2: The offensive line is potentially way worse. It might be worse. I, I, I'm worried, you know, the more I think about it, like Aaron Banks should be fine, right? Like if Aaron Banks is a turnstile, then that's a problem, right? Mm -hmm. He should be fine. If a second round pick just cannot, is is unplayable, then that's a disaster. But you do have bodies who could potentially be at least replacement level. And if your guards are replacement level guards, it's obviously not ideal, but you can figure your way around it. I think the big question is, center and mm-hmm. how good jake Brendel's is going to be yeah because if jake Brendel's bad then it's you know then it's it's potentially problematic because you know if you have a good center and two kind of you know replacement level guards who aren't good but aren't just terrible like the center can lift those guys up and the tackles mm-hmm. can potentially lift you know be good enough to where um it's not really a problem but if your center is not good and your guards aren't good, then that's right. That's where you can really run into issues because you know the quickest way to bother quarterback with pressure is obviously right up the middle, right? And you know, especially no matter- a rookie. Yeah, especially a first yeah, year starter. Yeah, and tr- you know Trent Williams can only block, you know, four guys. <laughs> <laughs> Trent Williams can only block you know i guess a third of the field <laughs> right <laughs> but um but yeah that's i i think if there's an area of concern like i'm more concerned probably about the center position than i am about trey but i guess I don't they're, wanna... inter- they're intertwined because Brendel. if Brendel's not good and that's directly going to impact trey but we'll see I... I mean they're pretty confident in him so maybe he's a diamond in the rough and maybe they they really came in came into something but he's just not an established guy he's been on what five right. teams and made three starts like and now he's a starting mm-hmm. center replacing an all decade guy in Alex Mack. So Yeah,
1: no big deal. Yeah. I almost wonder, I almost I almost wonder though if they saw that last year and that's why he stuck around. Because they knew that they might lose Alex Mack, and this was just kind of the plan the whole time. But I almost wonder if their best five offensive linemen winds up involving if it's not Brendel, I wonder if it winds up involving Banks at left guard with like Jalen Moore at right guard and Brunskill at center. That's suboptimal for sure because Brunskill, I think, was fine last year as a right guard. And if he does that again and Aaron Banks is the same or a little bit better, like you said, the guard spot should be fine.
2: Yeah. And like I'm, I'm, I don't want to say pro Jalen Moore, but I'm optimistic about Jalen Moore. Yeah. No, for sure. So, um, I heard good from the about offensive Sh-
1: linemen go listen to our offensive line podcast. We <laughs> <Yeah>. got. <one. laughs>
2: so, so, yeah, but you know, what what Shanahan said I think really made a lot of sense and I think ultimately with it's going to be funny because so much of the conversation, I mean rightfully so, is about the quarterback situation, but we're going to look at this team and be like, "Oh yeah, the defense is really good and really carrying the water for this team." Mhm. Right. Like that's that's Yeah. Shanahan is you know, he wants to run the ball. He wants to play a physical brand. You can make a case to Miko Ryans is one of the best defensive coordinators in football already. The Niners have Man. a lot of talent on that side of the ball. Um, Jimmy Ward's an 87 in Madden. You know, that's, that's no, <laughs> no slouch.
1: So that means, according to Madden, we're big on Madden writings at this pod. Huge. But... <laughs> That means according to Madden, and this is where I don't know how the ratings work, so I don't. Jimmy Ward is as good at free safety as Debo Samuel is at wide receiver. Is
2: Debo in 87? Yes. Wow. I think the people over at EA Sports must listen to the pod. Maybe they're investing in in, uh, property on Jimmy Ward Island. They skip all the
1: parts about how awesome Debo Samuel
2: is, though. <laughs> yeah, potentially. One of them
1: just went to, like, North Carolina and just hates South Carolina. Ah, uh, yeah. That's what it is. Could be. Could be. No, but honestly. different like... towards Duke.
2: Really hates the Gamecocks. Right. Yeah, as one would. <laughs> um... Mm-hmm jimmy ward getting recognized as, as an 87 and we could i guess we can, can do you want to transition to the uh yeah this is great defensive back this is preview great transition okay yeah well we'll preview defensive backs now since that's the only position group we haven't hit on yet um Hang on, small
1: pause in case they want to put a break here
2: yeah let's and uh go. let's pause tyler hit us with that <laughs> hit us with the break that commercial <laughs>
1: All right, defensive backs, let's go. Jimmy Ward's in 87 in Madden. Chris, your thoughts?
2: I mean, if there's a player who's sort of, like, not gotten the recognition that he's deserved on this team during this 49ers run over the last few years, it's been Jimmy Ward. And I think he was... fans casually, like, oh, he doesn't have a lot of interceptions, like, whatever. He also just doesn't get targeted all that much. And mm-hmm. that's a good thing if you're a free safety over the top um he's an extremely good tackler for his position and particularly his size um Mm -hmm. you know I think the interceptions some of that's luck some of its people avoiding him um but I think ultimately he's a better player than what his turnover numbers have been and I know people just want to look at those and say and you know determine how good Mm -hmm. a safety is based on those but he's been a very good player um and so to see him be an 87 I think speaks to that um you know i know like we're obviously joking when we talk about madden ratings because like they're not all that important right but i do think like the players it it matters to the players because you know all of this stuff sort of creates their resume right like Mm -hmm. the pro bowl might not matter but they still want the recognition totally right like that stuff matters when they hit the negotiating table and like so for Jimmy Ward to be an 87, like that matters to him for sure. I'm certain about that. Mm-hmm. And he's a good player. And I think, you know, I don't know where he compares to the rest of the free safeties in the league. I saw, I think he wasn't in Madden's top 10 safety list for whatever, but like, you know, he was a free safety on the best the 49ers statistically in 2019 at the best pass defense since like 2011. Mm-hmm. 2009 or something it was a jets and they
1: just don't give up big plays and that's a large in large part because of him
2: right like jimmy ward was the free safety in a single high system on you know one of the best pass defenses in years right Mm -hmm. so like he's a really good tackler he's a very good player um obviously the injury history that he had colors a lot of people's opinions of him but he's been pretty durable the last few years and um he's a good player and he's in a contract year so maybe he'll uh maybe he'll ball out one more time
1: contract year jimmy
2: yeah who do you think starts at strong can the
1: can the the 49ers succeed with two wards in their
2: secondary (laughs) i think i think so yeah
1: okay strong safety i think it's going to be javerius more as much as i like talanoa hufanga and i think he's he's a Talanoa Hufanga is going to be one of those guys that we're sitting here in like 2036. And it's like, wow, he's still in the league. <laughs> I think he's just going to play for maybe not that long, but I think he's just going to have a really long successful career. But I think Tervarius Moore was in line to be the starting strong safety last year before he had his Achilles injury and OTAs. And he's now more than a year removed from that. So given modern medicine, I'm guessing he's probably close to, to fully healthy and all the way back. I think there's an advantage to having a strong safety who is as athletic as he is in a natural free safety who can, yeah, you can move him down in the box, but also you can mix up your coverages and, and have him playing up high. He can play a single high spot. I think if they want to, if they want to mess around there, we saw him have some success as a third safety in 2019. I just, I think he's a, he's a really, really good player and can be a really, really good player and a difference maker in the back end. Joukowsky Tart was obviously not a pro bowler but he was an athletic strong safety and I think that that that's helpful for the 49ers so I think Tavares Moore gets that spot because he can do some things down the field that Talano Hufanga probably can't
2: I agree with you I think I think Hufanga is probably going to be the first one getting starters reps just because Moore is coming back from the injury but I think Given what they've typically wanted at safety, um, mm-hmm. they want somebody who can move around, right? because there's there are a lot of scenarios in which Jimmy Ward moves down to um you know cover a tight end on third down, man to man, and then that leaves you know the strong safety, who was Jakoski Tart playing free safety, and Tart was fast. Tart, Tart couldn't move like a free safety. Um, he was just a little bit bigger bodied. Hufanga cannot move like Tart, and I think Hufanga is an excellent football player, but just might lack the athleticism to be interchangeable in the same way that Tart was. And to your point, I think Moore does offer that interchangeability, and so that's right. that's why I would lean towards Moore starting also. But it's a good problem to have, and ultimately, I think what it's going to look like is you know Ward and Moore playing the two safety spots. And Hufanga getting a lot of playing time as sort of a, you know, hybrid linebacker, um, you know, dime safety on third down in particular, uh, who's going to be good in the middle of the field and who's going to be good at, near the line of scrimmage. And then you'll have more speed at the back end with more playing free safety, potentially, if Jimmy Ward is moving down, you know, to the line of scrimmage to cover a tight end or a slot receiver in man to man. So, right. Um. I'm with you. I think Tarvarius Moore ends up winning that job. Oh, and maybe it comes like halfway through the season. Sure. Maybe it's one of those situations where they sort of work him in as a third safety and then eventually he replaces him, but I think the ceiling of the defense is just higher with Moore because of the speed that he has cuz I mean, who knows what uh, you know what what his speed's going to be post Achilles injury, but I mean, he was what a fourth <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but he was a 4-3 guy coming out, right? So he was a four-three guy who played free safety, um, in college, and so that's that's why ultimately I think, you know, and he's in a contract year also, so that that'll be that'll be pretty interesting. But I I like the possibility if he's back to, you know, close to a hundred percent or whatever he was before the injury, um, that that I think makes sense for me just from a speed perspective because you want to have as many fast guys on the field as possible
1: more at 92 speed, by the way. Yeah, Madden. I just looked it up. It wouldn't surprise me if Talanoa Hufanga won the job, though. Talanoa Hufanga only an 84 speed. So I, I think that 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 speaks for itself. But <laughs> the bit aside, I it wouldn't surprise me if Talanoa Hufanga won the job. I would bet on more. But like if Hufanga has the starting gig in to start camp and just kind of holds on to it, it wouldn't shock me because I think he's a good player. I, yeah, I, I I don't think he's a. It's not like he's a detriment when he's on the field. I just think Moore has some added versatility, is all. And yeah, that's that, that's kind of the the big difference.
2: And and I think one thing you know to to speak f- f- positively about Hufanga in his convo is like, you know, Hufanga is probably the guy who would make more plays on the ball, or you know, force more fumbles. Yeah, or maybe make you know more splash plays he might not be as good in coverage because he doesn't have the the same speed, but he might just have more of a natural, you know, nose for the ball type stuff like in and around the line of scrimmage. So um, it's interesting because they're two guys competing for the same spot potentially, but they're just very different players.
1: Yeah, totally. And maybe like you said, maybe it's one of those things where one of them's the quote unquote starter, but they rotate them in differently. And the Niners effectively work with three safeties. It might, it might be something like that. Like D'Amico Ryan's was super creative last year. And I don't think that this is a coaching staff that's going to adhere necessarily to this is the free safety and this is a strong safety and that's how it's going to go. Right. I, I, if they, if they think that Hufanga and Moore can both help them, they're, they're both going to get on the field. And I, I, I think they both can.
2: Yeah. I think they're going to play a lot of three safety stuff, particularly on third down. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll see them both, but you know, what happens on first and second down, I think is, is, you know, up for debate. And I guess that'll be one of the battles that, that happens in training camp. Um, what, who do you think starts opposite? Charverius Ward at cornerback,
1: Emmanuel Mosley,
2: not Jason Verrett.
1: No, no, Explain. I don't, I'm not even certain Jason Verrett's going to make the team. And I don't think they want to put themselves in a spot where, okay, he's the starter. Mosley is the starting nickel. But if Verrett goes down, Mosley's going to go outside, and now they're going to put somebody else in there. I just don't think they want to deal with that again, where they're shuffling pieces all around. And if you think Jason Verrett's valuable on the roster, I think you can go Mosley and Ward starting outside and have Verrett be... You have Ambry Thomas as your first outside corner off the bench, and then you have Verrett be like your second corner off the bench. And that way his snaps are more limited you can keep him healthy all year. And if there's a spot where it's week 13, 14 and you need to start him for a game, you can, but last year they got, (laughs) it derailed them really bad when he went down. And I know their depth is better this year and they'd be more prepared to withstand that. But a, I don't think they want to put him in that position. And B, I don't think they want to put themselves in that position where they're going to be down another starter. Now they're digging. I just don't think they want to, They want to go about it that way.
2: Yeah, so ultimately, like, Verrett, all things being equal and everybody being 100% healthy, Verrett's the best option. Yes, I would say. But obviously, coming off an ACL tear on top of all the other injuries he's dealt with, you know, Mm -hmm. it's impossible to be confident at this point. Like, oh, yeah, Jason Verrett physically is going to be fine and hold up. And maybe he does, like if he comes out of training camp and outplays the other guys and physically looks good, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with him winning that starting job. Because if he does go down, like you said, they do have better depth than they've had previously because Emmanuel Mosley is a starting caliber cornerback. And if he's your third outside guy. I think you're probably okay. Um I'm I'm kind of in the camp where I think Jason Verrett either wins the starting job or doesn't make the team. Like I, cause I, I have a hard time envisioning them having Verrett as a backup, like playing special teams and doing that stuff and maybe taking reps away from some of like Ambry Thomas or Castro mm-hmm. fields or D'Amador Lenore or Sam Womack. Um, Because I think those guys just need the reps. And if you invest, you know, mid-round draft picks in those guys, you want to get them reps over somebody that, you know, probably doesn't have a long-term future with the team.
1: Well, let's just, let's just, while you're doing that, let's run through this. Okay. Let's say they're keeping six defensive backs or six corners.
2: Five or six. Yeah.
1: Let's, let's, for the sake of this, this discussion, let's do six. Okay. Ward's making the team. Mosley is making the team. Ambry Thomas making the team. Samuel Womack making the team. That's four. Yeah. Which leaves you two spots for Diomedor Lenore, a fifth-round pick from two years ago. You have Tariq Castro-Fields, a sixth-round pick from this year. A ton of upside, all the physical tools. You have Darquez Denard, who they re-signed this offseason, who could he, he could wind up being the starting slot corner. He could. And then you have Dante Johnson. Thank you. I was really hoping
2: you would not forget Dante Johnson.
1: How could I forget Dante Johnson? All right, just making sure. Versatile, can play a safety in a pinch. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. He can do everything. Play special teams. And then you have Jason Verrett as well. Like, there's just... I don't know how many starting caliber corners they have or NFL caliber corners, I should say, but they're going to need special teams contributors. And I think it, at minimum, a guy like Lenore or Dante Johnson can at least contribute in that unit.
2: Yeah, which is why I'm sort of in the camp of like, if Red either wins a starting job or doesn't make the team. Hmm. And that's like,
1: the thing. I don't so think he's not. So if he's not. So if he's winning a starting job, I mean that means they're they're probably getting rid of a player that they think can contribute for for a player who has a, a really bad injury history.
2: Yeah, I mean potentially. I mean he, the thing uh, is, is like Pro Bowl level corners don't grow on trees, right, right? Right.
1: And if he's healthy and they let him go, and he signs elsewhere, <laughs> has a great year, right? That's a tough look for sure.
2: I mean, if he if he say Trevarius. Ward is what the 49ers think he is and is a number one corner and say Jason Verrett replicates his 2020 season you're looking at like a damn good cornerback group
1: yeah I already think guys I already think this is like the deepest cornerback group they've had in Shanahan's tenure
2: I'd have to go back and look
1: because in 2019 it was Richard Sherman and he was excellent his second team all pro. And on the other side, it was Akella Witherspoon, but he got hurt and then they tried putting Verrett in and then he got hurt. And so they went to Emmanuel Mosley who was pretty good. And then right. he gave his spot back to Witherspoon and then Witherspoon got benched in the, in week eight, week 17. And he got benched again in the playoff game after he got torched for a touchdown against the Vikings. And then it was, and then it was Mosley the rest of the way. And beyond that, K1 Williams is, was in the slot, but, I think just if if Ambry Thomas takes a step, because he got progressively better last year. Yeah, he played a lot were, of
2: snaps in the playoffs.
1: And there were there were there were there were so many plays, especially the Falcons game really sticks out to me because there were like three or four plays in that game where he had perfect coverage and just got the ball taken from him. That's yeah. just kind of a rookie thing. Like, hey, you're still getting used to the speed of the game. You got lots to learn. Yeah. So if he takes a if he takes a step, you have Treverius Ward who who is a legitimate NFL starter. You have Emmanuel Mosley, who I I I believe Emmanuel Mosley's an NFL caliber cornerback, starting mm-hmm. caliber cornerback. Ambry Thomas he's is proven taking that. the leap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. If Ambry Thomas is taking that step, that's three legitimate starting outside corners. Mm-hmm. And then you figure out what you're doing in the slot. Then you bring up Jason Barrett. If Barrett's healthy, And playing somewhere near a Pro Bowl level, like that's that's a lot of really good corners in a league where it's hard to find good
2: corners. But again, that's everything.
1: That's that's in a that's in a scenario where everything's going right.
2: Didn't Dante Johnson start against the Packers in the playoffs? Did that happen? I think it might have happened. Anyway, I know he played a lot. I know he played a lot. So yeah, I mean, it's to your point. It's a pretty good cornerback group. it's it's
1: better than it was last season, where they're signing Josh Norman oh, the absolutely. Monday before week. One.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And There's playing no, there, Drake Kirkpatrick. Yeah, it's not a Drake Kirkpatrick scenario. No. Um. Yeah, I I think they kind of view like Verette as like a lotto ticket. Like if it hits yeah. awesome, if he doesn't win a starting job, then like release him and see if he can go get a starting job elsewhere because they have too many guys that they need to develop, and who can and play. I special also get teams. the
1: idea. I also get the idea he's just a dude you want in your locker room.
2: Yeah. Verrett, he's a for dude. Sure. Jason yeah, Verrett's a dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's healthy and he can play, he's, he's definitely a dude. was a first-round pick. Yeah. It's never been about how good he is. Like, when he's healthy, he's totally. really good. He's like a mm-hmm. Pro Bowl-level dude. <laughs> but he's just not, you know, just hasn't been healthy. Um, yeah. Slot corner. Kwan Williams goes to the Denver Broncos in the offseason. Mm-hmm. pretty big question mark one of my hotter takes i don't even know if it's a hot take at this point is that sam womack's going to be the week one starter at the nickel nickel corner
1: are you ready like that is your take you're you're staking plan your the flag, flag too yeah i love that you're on samuel womack island right now
2: yeah yeah It's i it's wait. got some I gotta... potential i don't you know like the the beaches are like a little rocky, you know, the the sand isn't like super soft, but, um, you know, the weather's okay on mm-hmm. San Womack Island. It's got potential, but we need to see a little more.
1: You're just kind of describing Alameda. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You just described the city of Alameda. Alameda's the, fine. Beaches, yeah, it's got potential and to the weather's good most of the time um i love alameda great beer scene in alameda
2: yeah the weather honestly not I, as I good in, as
1: santa rosa
2: well it's best beer city best beer town in the country um mm-hmm. but um no i lived in sam oakland. womack yeah sam womack well oh, hold on. i lived in oakland like best weather in my opinion in the bay area oakland california i'll buy that because the fog doesn't come in from San Francisco, it burns off before it gets to Oakland, and it doesn't get as hot as it does further inland or in the South Bay. Yeah. That's my Bay Area I'll weather that. Um, Cool. And I live there, so, like, you know, I, I, I'm i a little knowledgeable on the subject. But, um, yeah, I think Sam, is. Womack's, Sam Womack's going to start. I think he's going to be pretty good, and I think he's going – we're going to talk about him, like, oh, Niners, another fifth-round gem. It's another yeah. guy. I, I, what? We,
1: I think we ta- we've talked about this before with Womack, yeah. but I have no empirical data for this. This is solely one of those, like, I've decided it's a thing, so it's just a thing to me. Mm-hmm. The fact that he was a walk-on at Toledo, earned a scholarship, and then was, like, their best corner. A team captain. And a team captain after playing basketball, which is why he wasn't recruited for football. He was just a really good basketball player and then went, okay. I'm going to go play football now and walked on, made the team, earned a scholarship, was a captain and was their best corner for like his last three years. That's hella impressive and super not easy to do. And I think a lot of and I, I think a lot of in the NFL, what makes a player successful is the mindset. And their attitude toward the game and their willingness to work hard and their willingness to do whatever it takes to kind of compete and win. The football
2: guys call it football character.
1: Yeah, football character. Like he's, he just, dude characteristics, dude traits (laughs) and dude tendencies, 10 dudes. Yeah, that's good. No, no. Writing that one down, tendencies. (laughs) So I'm going to, I'll circle back. We'll try it again later. I'll workshop it. Okay. So (laughs) no, but he displays that. There's, like I said, I don't have empirical data for this. I don't even have another example of it. But when you hear his story and you see the 49ers track record with fifth round picks, you see their need at the position that he plays. It's like, man, I I really like where where the signs are pointing for, for Womack.
2: Right. Like if you look at, if you just like George Kittle, I think is just a classic example, right? And obviously this is very much like an apples to orange comparison, but with Kittle, he was a fifth round pick basically because Iowa didn't utilize their tight ends in the passing game all that much. And it wasn't like he lacked talent. It was just like, all right, here's like a really athletic tight end. Who's going to block his ass off. And you know, we're not, we're just not going to use him through the air all that often. And with Sam Womack, it's like, well, he wasn't really recruited. He, you know, wasn't a five-star guy um he was a walk-on he went to a small school like you know a lot of times and we see it all the time in the nfl like a lot of times what your path was doesn't necessarily change what you're going to become in the league if you're made of the right stuff Mm -hmm. right and like george Kittle was clearly made of the right stuff but he was a fifth round pick because they didn't throw the ball a whole lot and Mm -hmm. you know he he Enjoyed college a little bit and got after it early in his college career before it, you know, before he settled down and realized that, you know, to be a good football player, he has to change some of his habits, so to speak. Just to lock in. Right. But, you know, Sam Womack's story ultimately impacted where he got drafted, but that doesn't mean he's not made of the right stuff. And, And that's why I think they have... um they have success in the fifth round like drake greenlaw like ran a really crummy 40 time at the combine i think because he had a hamstring injury or something and then dropped to the fifth round despite being one of the fastest linebackers in the country based on (laughs) actual tracking data from playing football but he lasted the fifth round because you know he didn't run great at the combine right and then he didn't exercise well enough yeah he he didn't exercise well enough in that exact moment and he ended up making a few big plays in that season and you know helping the 49ers get to the super bowl and becoming a pretty good starter right so like i just think that womax fits that same criteria as somebody like yeah kind of slid through the cracks for whatever reason that don't you know whatever reason that doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad football player and we like his mentality. We like the fact that he's a potential team captain type and mm-hmm. probably mature beyond his years and had to earn everything he got. And those guys tend to succeed in the NFL. So that's why that's my case.
1: I like it. I haven't seen him at all. So I'm just going to, I'm going to pick up what you're laying down for now.
2: Sure. And I'm interested to too. see.
1: I'm interested to see who starts at nickel and can't like who's, who's getting the first team reps.
2: It might be Denard. Right I think it'll right. probably they go with be, the veteran and it'll be the veteran. And then they'll say to Womack, like, Hey, you want this spot, go beat out of that.
1: The other, the other, the other player that we mentioned, but haven't really talked about is that this is like a make or break camp for diameter Lenore totally because he's going to get a chance to compete for the starting nickel job. And if he doesn't show at least like, yeah, Hey, he can be serviceable in the slot. Then I don't know where there's room for him because we mentioned there's too many other guys who can contribute. Right. This is a this is a (laughs) big couple of months for him.
2: I kind of think it's either gonna be him or Dante Johnson. And you know, Dante is somebody who can also play nickel, and the reason why Dante stuck around so long is just because they can trust him. He's just a trustworthy player. Right. right. Like there aren't going to be coverage bus. He's going to be where he needs to be most of the time. Um, where Lenore, like Lenore is clearly a more talented guy at this point and he's younger. But you just, you know, he didn't look like he didn't look like a trustworthy player his first season with the team. But
1: he's also playing outside. No, no, I know, I know. I know.
2: And he's a rookie, right? Like, it, you know, who he mm-hmm. was as a rookie doesn't necessarily determine what he's going to be the rest of his the rest of his career but like you know I think he has to prove trustworthy and that's going to be the big question for him and if he's not I think Dante Johnson probably wins a roster spot over him and maybe it's a situation where Lenore is talented enough to where they can trade him if he doesn't make the team because I think he's an NFL player Mm -hmm. but he might like the depth at the position when and whatever the roster numbers are it might just be tough for him to make the team
1: Right. It would be, I don't want to say a meltdown because that's dramatic, but to be hyperbolic, 49ers Twitter would melt down if Dante
2: Johnson got cut. If he got cut? Yeah. Wait, if Dante if, Johnson got if cut or Lenore got cut?
1: Dante Johnson. If Dante Johnson didn't make the team, that'd be a sad day.
2: You th- Maybe I don't have my finger on the pulse of Twitter but i, I, I feel right like out. fans would be more it's up the barnacle, in barnacle dude. No, I know, but I feel like fans would be more up in arms about Lenore not not making the team because he was a draft.
1: no player. no, no doubt, like I said i was I was purposely being a little bit hyperbolic with okay. Dante Johnson, okay People would be really fake sad about it right never mind. one of the uh, one fun. of the
2: nicer guys on the team, go
1: go fuck myself, I guess
2: <laughs> no no, no, you're I, <laughs> I, I, I just didn't, I you know, if, if there's, if there's a, a, content, a Dante Johnson contingent on Twitter, all I'm saying is I'm not privy to it, which is fine because I don't mind being not privy to things that happen on Twitter. Right.
1: I feel like you purposely do that. Yeah. The other player in the cornerback room that I'm really interested in, genuinely interested in, I want to know what Tariq Castro Fields looks like on an NFL field. Like he's six two 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 hundred, six two, two oh five, something like that. One ninety seven. He's big, he's big, he's super athletic, and just didn't put it together on tape at Penn State, based on what I hear from people who know cornerback play a lot better than I do. So is that a matter of coaching? Was it a matter of motivation? Does he get into the NFL and a and a switch flips and all of a sudden it's like oh hey he has all the traits to be a a cb1 and maybe he's just not good we've seen tons of cornerbacks with elite physical traits like look at look at not a cornerback but a guy like taylor mays super incredible physical traits just can't put it together as a football player maybe that's Tariq castro that
2: that's spider graph god taylor mays to you i'm
1: sorry i'm sorry let's (laughs) tyler cut all that let me get back i'm joking it reminds me, I know he's not a cornerback, he's a safety, but he reminds me of spider-graph god Taylor Mays, <laughs> who just couldn't put it together as a football player. There we go.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: I, 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 but maybe maybe Castro Fields is is excellent, and the 49ers found a, a diamond in the rough in the, in the secondary. Or maybe he doesn't make the team, or he's a practice squad guy or whatever. But whatever it is, when we talk about the most interesting things to watch, I know it's very under the radar and it may be a moot point after the first preseason game, but I can't wait to see what he looks like on an NFL field, good or bad.
2: So I think if I were to make a prediction with him, I think he's a practice squad guy. Same. And some, and like a red shirt, you know, like let's, you know, let's get him in the building. Let's develop him a little bit. Probably not good enough to win a roster spot, but we like the physical traits and you know let him marinate for a year and then see if he can go win a job next year that's that's my feeling on it and I didn't watch him super closely during the offseason program uh, to say I really have a strong opinion one way or another but um, I think ultimately that's that's sort of how this works out what was the uh, what was the cornerback the 49ers drafted out of Virginia who had it was like a second or third round talent who had a on... Harris dog Tim Harris yes of course thank you I think it's a Tim Harris situation minus the uh, injury stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tim Harris, NFL body, super highly recruited out of high school yeah. and just couldn't put it together health wise.
2: Yeah. Had a bunch of injuries, was in college for a long time. Um, yeah. Again, not, not super similar in terms of like backgrounds of fields, but like in terms of developmental track or whatever mm-hmm. word you want, words you want to say, like, I think that's, that's probably the most likely avenue for him.
1: I want to tie our last two things here because we talked about all the interesting things. We then go into position battles in depth. And I think that these two things tie together because the 49ers do have a legitimate position battle at outside corner. Who's going to start opposite uh, Trevarius Ward? They have a position battle at strong safety. But and they have a position battle at Nickel Corner. We talked about Greg Odom
2: at all. We didn't. Would you like to? Good special teams guy,
1: really good special teams guy. All right,
2: so (laughs) (laughs) don't know how much defense he'll play, but a good special teams guy. He'll make the 53. I think the
1: four, he'll make the 53. He'll be the four safety. I think the 49ers are in trouble if he's playing strong safety for them. That's my take. Agreed. So they have these position battles, but it's not it's not like, hey, they have to figure out if they have a starting corner on their roster. They need to find out if they have a starting nickel. They need to find out if they have, like no, they have starting caliber players, just which one is gonna rise and be the starter at that position. Yeah. And that is just such a departure from where they were last year. And they made one small investment there. They re-signed Jason Verrett. Emmanuel Mosley was back. They had a couple draft picks. And all of a sudden it's like, man, they might have a legitimate CB room this year where they have four or five starting caliber guys. And in today's NFL, having four or five starting caliber corners in your, in your, on your roster is like unheard of. It's really
2: hard to do. Totally agree. Um, Honestly, I mean, I've said this before on this pod, but like, I think their cornerback position and how it was in shambles early last season really might've been the reason this team didn't win the super or didn't go to the super bowl.
1: I agree, man.
2: Like if they didn't have to play Drake Kirkpatrick and D'Amador Lenore early in the season, like Ambry Thomas wasn't ready until at least halfway through the year. Like Mm -hmm. if they had a competent cornerback group, and they didn't have to play. Um,
1: if Jason Verrett
2: stays healthy. Yeah. If they didn't again, have to play. Big F, but. If Josh Norman wasn't their top corner or their number two opposite Emmanuel Mosley. And, you know, they're not committing pass interference penalties 17 times a game. They probably don't start three and five. hmm. And they probably don't have to worry about sneaking into the playoffs and maybe they, you know, don't have to go through a gauntlet of at Dallas at green Bay at the Rams through the playoffs. Maybe, you know, who knows, maybe they're a higher seed. Maybe their roads a little bit easier. Like I think you can, (laughs) you can trace some of the issues that they've had back to what happened at cornerback early in the season. And they're in a completely different position right now, which is, which is good for them.
1: You bringing that up, I, I I agree, but you bringing that up brought something else to mind. That I saw this said during the NFC Championship game, after the NFC Championship game, and I think it might come up again as the nickel corner battle plays itself out. The take that the 49ers need to find a nickel corner that can cover Cooper Cup, that was a bar, by the way, is just not a thing. Do they need a nickel corner that's competent enough to be a good nickel and hold their own a little bit against Cooper Cup? Yeah, sure. I'll buy that. But it's not like they were going to go out and be like, yeah, hey, slot corner, go shut down Cooper Cup, who just led the NFL in every receiving category. Like, that's just not a thing. So right. I don't. It doesn't. I, I, I want to push back on that before it even begins again.
2: Yeah, anybody who's like, oh, they need somebody to cover Cooper Cup. If you say that, I would like you to offer who that person is. Right. It's who, Jalen who,
1: Ramsey. who's on the goddamn Rams. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, who's the guy that the 49ers could reasonably obtain? You'd be like, okay, we're good on, you know, we don't have to worry about Cooper Cup because we have this guy. Like, that's just not how the NFL operates. Like, that guy would be a twenty five million dollar year cornerback.
1: He would that just yeah, that, that player doesn't exist. And like I said, if he does, he he wears number five on the Rams. Yeah. Cooper Cup last year had 145 catches for 1,947 yards and 16 touchdowns just in the
2: regular season. His and, lowest and with his his what lowest... he did in the playoffs, like there's a legitimate case that he had the best season in NFL history, for a receiver,
1: his worst game of the year was in Week Four when they lost to Arizona, and he had five catches for sixty-four yards. His second worst game was seven for ninety-two, then six for ninety-five in a tug.
2: The Niners should have signed games. The Niners should have signed or traded for whoever plays slot corner for the Cardinals. That's the take. <laughs> I don't even know who <laughs> it even... is.
1: It's the top I
2: of my head. No idea.
1: Buddha Baker. <laughs> Buddha Baker out there just getting it done. He's a safety. Byron Murphy, maybe?
2: Mm.
1: Is Isaiah upside. Simmons Isaiah Simmons lining up in the
2: slot? Uh, uh I don't think so. I mean maybe I don't know.
1: Just to just uh just to that other point, just to put a bow on this. Cooper Cup's other game against Arizona last year. Thirteen for 23 in a buck twenty three and a tidy. So maybe yeah. don't
2: go get that player. <laughs> no, there's some what guys, a ridiculous,
1: ridiculous player.
2: I mean, there are some guys you just don't have answers for. And that's that kind Yeah, of, I mean, that's why like the a pass rush is a great equalizer. Yeah. Right? You if you just if you're able to move the quarterback off a spot, that's you're more likely that's where like the whole um coverage versus pass rush emphasis conversation mm-hmm. comes from. Like maybe I'm old school. And I'm not with the times with all the analytics people on the Internet. But like I, I ultimately think and I know Kyle Shanahan believes this, too, because he said it that, you know, the pass rush is the most important thing. And I think trying to defend Cooper Cup is a classic example, because at least with a pass rush, you got four guys. You could scheme things. Uh, you could dial up blitzes like getting the quarterback out of rhythm and or hitting him and or sacking him. might be the best defense for a guy that's simply uncoverable like Cooper Cup
1: yeah and throwing off timing because that's such a big thing with with guys like that the fact of the matter is 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 getting away from Cup and just kind of zooming out at at, at receivers around the league as a whole and why it's important to have at least competent cornerback play is it's not just the Rams with Cooper Cup and now Allen Robinson it's the Cardinals with DeAndre Hopkins, who's going to be back once they play the 49ers and they traded for Marquise Brown and they have.
2: um, A lot of good receivers. Every NFL team has a lot of good receivers. It feels like
1: that's the point I was getting at.
2: There are good receivers everywhere.
1: Every team has really good wide receiver talent. Like it's such a loaded position in the league right now,
2: except maybe the Jaguars.
1: No, they have $18 million a year receiver, Christian Kirk. Nailed it. Honestly, me. hey, you know who you know who doesn't have very good wide receivers? Who's that? The Green Bay Packers. Green Bay Packers don't have great receivers. True. I think Kendrick Bourne is going to be the Patriots wide receiver one this year. True, that's fair.
2: I mean, Julio Jones might end up being a Packer. I know he's at The and Like I of said, the
1: Packers don't have very good receivers.
2: Christian Watkins might be a dude, bro. Isn't the name Christian Watson? I think it's Watkins. Okay. I'll buy it. Let's uh, <laughs> let's throw it in the Google machine real quick just so I don't I don't make a bad take. The last thing we do on this podcast.
1: Christian Watson, Green Bay Packers. Oh, damn it.
2: But they have Sammy Watkins. Boy, do they.
1: Yep. And they and they kept Alan Lazard. Yeah. No, it's just the, the point I was making is the receiver talent's really good. And the 49ers are more equipped this year at corner to deal with that receiver talent than they were last year. Cooper Cup aside, but there was no move they were going to make this offseason that was going to be like, oh, yeah, now they'll defend Cooper Cup. Just doesn't happen. No. Anyways, that's all I have to say on the cornerback situation. We're done with these position previews. We're going to have a podcast for you. So this comes out Tuesday, the 49ers report Tuesday. We'll also record a pod Tuesday night that'll come out Wednesday, breaking down everything that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch had to say. And then we'll have one. And hopefully Trey Lance. Week. Hopefully Trey Lance. And then we'll have one later in the week. Just kind of recapping action from, from training camp. What we've seen, what we've heard. Rumor We're has to it. The... to talk about.
2: Yeah. Rumor has it. The pads won't come on until Monday next week. Source per source. Just you know rumor has it <laughs> um so tight yeah i have i have other assignments to do in sacramento this week but i will be going to training camp on saturday um so hopefully Kyle Shanahan isn't arresting everybody uh when i go to that practice but we will have there there will be takes we'll we'll read the reports there'll be content there'll be content we'll read the reports talk to some people behind Maybe the we'll scenes
1: We'll have a guest on Somebody who was there. Not, not the worst
2: idea. Nick, uh, Nick, 30. we're asking you now to come on the pod. <laughs> publicly, <laughs> publicly, we're asking Nick without asking him directly to come on the pod. We'll hopefully he'll listen to this while he's exercising or something and be like, "Yeah, I'd
1: love to." That sounds great. On, man. All right.
2: Goodbye, everybody. See ya.